Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 13 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today, wherever you're listening. I'm your host as always, Robbie Cox. Now I mentioned yesterday what a massive week of stars we have coming your way. And today's guest is just that. She's a three-time Olympic gold medalist, former world record holder, and of course I'm talking about one of Australia's greatest ever sprinters, Miss Jodie Henry. I spoke to Jodie a week or so ago about her life away from the pool, her family, her amazing swimming career with all the highlights, including world records and the 2004 Athens Olympics, which was a phenomenal week for Jodie walking away with three gold medals. We also talk about her coach, Shannon Rollison, retirement and a whole lot more. So make sure you've had your toilet break, make sure you grab a drink and turn the volume all the way up because Ep 13 with Jodie Henry starts... Now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100 in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Nuzen's hand. But the signature of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he's shot. He can't do it to him again. Chavez in the white hats. Vets in the black hats. And Vets is not it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe. Thorpe to the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is a three-time Olympic gold medalist, and she's a former world record holder as well as being a world champion. She's still thought of today as one of the best sprinters Australia has ever produced, and I know I definitely agree with that 100%. I'm very excited to have her on the show today. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Jody Henry. Jody, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you. You? Yeah, very good. Now, is it Strange these days to hear Jody Henry because I have to say Jody Henry because obviously that's how people are going to remember you in terms of what you accomplished in the pool. But it's Jody nodding these days, right? It is Jody nodding these days. But um, whenever I do anything to do with sport, I say Henry because yeah, like you said, no one would have a clue who I was. So <laughs> it's all good. It's sort of half and half as to what name I use. Yeah. What are you up to these days? Obviously, um, with COVID happening and there's a lot of people who were in work and are out of work or working from home, what have you been up to? Um, so I've got three kids. So um, luckily we're in Queensland though, Southeast yep. Queensland. So they are back at school, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice for my <laughs> mental health. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just uh, homeschooling them when I had to. Um, we have our own business as well. My husband's a builder, so mm-hmm. I help him with his business. So it's sort of just, it hasn't affected us too much. Like it has Melbourne. I mm. really feel for the um the Aussies down there in Melbourne and Victoria where actually my husband's family are. Um, Yeah. But um, luckily at the moment in Queensland, it's still relatively normal life. Yeah. I think uh, poor old Anastasia Palaszczuk has copped a beating in terms of the media for for how she's handled it. But if you really think about it, you guys are doing pretty well because of the way she's handling it. I know it's, it's an aggressive way of doing it, but it's certainly being effective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we stay that way. Fingers crossed there's no more crazy people like those two girls that uh, managed to get in off the plane. Uh, Did you hear about that story? Those girls who brought Corona up there? Yeah, they were touted as the most hated people in Queensland (laughs) for that week. And they were. They were Mm. because uh, it could potentially have just exploded um, 
Yes. You know. So. Definitely people have got to change the way they, uh, they think about things. I think that's for sure. Now, had you still been an athlete today, mate, and still been in the pool, how do you think you would have gone mentally with the Olympics being pushed back? Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. I think it sort of probably depends on where in your prep you are, you know, whether you're an athlete that maybe needs a little bit more time to rehab an injury or um, whether you're an athlete maybe that thinks, oh, oh in a year's time, am I going to be past my prime so um it probably just depends on where you are age-wise and in your career as to how you would react to that so yeah. hey, do you stay in the pool very much do you get in once or twice a week because and i only bring this up because i saw a legends race i don't know if it was last year or two years ago might have been on the gold coast i can't remember but you were in there and i'm telling you mate you killed it i i don't know i didn't get a split on you but i'm i remember watching her thinking she can still go do you still stay in the pool yeah, so um, mainly in summer, I'll get to go for a couple of swims with my dad a week. Um, we just go down to the local pool at Yeronga. It's a really nice outdoor yeah. pool. I wouldn't go back to Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> it's too enclosed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I get to swim a couple of times. But um, yeah, that was a really fun. That was my first race since stopping swimming and it was so much fun yeah. um i went under 27 which i was really happy with i was gonna ask did you know your splits i, I thought you <laughs> might have wanted to know what you did absolutely we're all former athletes we all checked out our splits as soon as we walked out the back so um yeah i think i went 26 high or something like that which um i was impressed with because i'd only been swimming for a couple months so mm. yeah Hey, down at Yorongo, you don't bump into Susie, do you? I know she trains down there. I mean, that'd be some sort of a training session. Yeah, I know. And actually, her husband is a really good swimmer too, yeah, like yeah. actually passes Susie. So, um, yeah, no, because they're now morning squads. They're very early morning. I go after school drop-off when the sun's out. So, yeah. yeah. It's the, um, the fortunate thing of not having to train anymore for competition, isn't it? You can choose whenever you want to go. Yeah, yeah, when it's nice and warm. <laughs> <laughs> How did swimming start for you up in Queensland? Obviously, I've lived up there f for five years, so I know it's a very warm and uh, inviting place to get in the water. So definitely it leads you to there. But how did you find your way into the pool? Yeah, so typical um, Queenslander, mum and dad took me to learn to swim lessons because, you know, when you have a lifestyle that's at the beach a lot or dad actually used to water ski as well. Yeah. Um, so we had to be, we had to be safe. So we started swimming when, um, learned to swim when we were maybe 18 months old. Um, and it sort of just progressed from there. It went from being um, just learned to swim to then squad stuff just at the local school pool. And then once I got um, outgrew that, it, I then went to Chandler with Shannon. So yeah. How good are those school pools? I coached up when I first went there and no one tells you about it, by the way. So mm -hmm. I'm coming from Sydney. There's no school, state school pools like, uh, like up in Brisbane down here. That's for sure. Oh, so yeah. how good are they? The shallow pool end is like 0 0.8. And if you get too tall, you end up bumping your head on a turn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My kids have it up at their school and, um, yeah, it is the old school. Um, yeah, 25 metre and you can barely have two kids pass each other in the same yeah. way. <laughs> but, hey, they're, they're a great resource for us to have because then, you know, kids are also doing learn to swim at school. Absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah, I thought it was brilliant for the youngsters, definitely. I think to a certain age, but definitely for the young ones coming from school straight into there, it was perfect. Did you play any other sports as a youngster? 
No, <laughs> I'm pretty uncoordinated um, on land. Yeah. I really am. Like I, um, I did school sports like netball and volleyball and tennis, but I tended to twist ankles or hurt myself. Um, I liked to kick the footy at lunchtime with my friends and things, but um, yeah, I never actually did anything <laughs> apart from something competitively anyway. It's probably something your coaches appreciated as you were getting older anyway. I know a lot of times, especially with girls and they play netball and I always just cross my fingers that, you know, they're not going to come back with any injuries. And I actually love netball. I enjoy watching it. I think it's a great sport, but, you know, they can find an injury from that sport. That's for sure. It's very physical. I've put my daughter in it just because I like that she'll be in a team sport. My husband comes yeah. from AFL, mm -hmm. so the boys are doing AFL, and I missed out on that team sport environment. And um, yeah, so I wanted Emmy to experience that. And yeah, already she's she's <laughs> she's not even ten, and they're grading them already, and yeah. they're full on like they got <laughs> they got beaten last week fairly, yeah. fairly easily. But yeah, it's very physical. How do the girls go after a loss? Are they, are they happy with that? Not happy with it, but do they move on? Do they go, oh, well, that's all right. We tried hard. Or do they take it to heart? Um, it depends. So Emmy's all about what's fair. Yeah. So last week it was against a team who were older girls. They were much bigger. They play at a school together. Mm -hmm. So she was like, that's not fair. Why were we put up against them? Yeah. They're so much better. We don't want to play them ever again. So I'm like, oh, well, it's an important lesson in losing. And yeah. do better. So. <laughs> what about uh, in terms of uh, junior swimming when you were younger? What sort of a swimmer were you? Um, there's there's different types of obviously squad kids. There's the guys at the front who are the ones who you know follow the pace clock and everyone relies on them religiously. <laughs> and if they're not there, the whole world goes to party in that afternoon. What sort of yeah. a swimmer were you when you were younger? I was sort of. In between, I was in between. So my younger sister was the one who would goof around and like you'd sort of be swimming along and she'd be under the water waiting till you came back so <laughs> she didn't have to do the full two laps. Yeah. Um, but then I also wasn't like the, the one who knew exactly how many we'd done and what times we'd done them on. I wasn't like that. I was sort of midway in between. Mm. Nice healthy balance, I think. Did you look up to anyone as you, as a youngster? Did you see any of the, uh, you know, swimmers on the Aussie team and sort of idolise those guys? Um, I wouldn't say idolise. I admired them. Um, but I've always been someone who didn't idolise people because I didn't really want to be anyone other than myself. Yeah. You know, you find people who idolise want to be that person. Mm. I never wanted to be anyone else. Um, I looked up to my dad. My dad was a good master swimmer. He actually had like, world records in masters at world masters games and yeah. things. So um, I looked up to him and I really wanted to beat his times, which I did eventually. So um, yeah, my dad was my hero. How did he take that as you started getting older and you started beating his times? Cause I know, and this is not where anywhere near in that realm, but I know playing cricket with my dad out the back, as soon as I started getting him out, that was it. We didn't play anymore. So how, how did your dad go with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, dad, dad actually took it really well because he was proud. He yeah. was proud that I was doing well. Um, yeah. So, you know, mum, dad, biggest fans.
Wow, that's lovely. I'm glad your dad was proud. My dad was just a sore loser and never picked up the bat again. <laughs> what, uh, what struggles did you go through as an age group athlete? Um, a, a lot of swimmers do these days. Certainly a lot of the ones that I'm talking to have massive programs going to age nationals and they're racing, you know, seven, seven or eight sort of individual events and they're just heats and then they've got to go to the finals. So that sort of thing, nerves. What sort of things did you struggle with as an age grouper coming through? Yeah, to be honest, I never really had a lot of events that I did. I maybe did butterfly. I wouldn't even try backstroke or breaststroke. Um, They were just disasters for me. So um, it was freestyle all the way and then maybe some butterfly in there. Um, So, but I mean, I actually wasn't that good until sort of late primary school. I maybe made my first team, um, Mm. my first state team. and then once I hit high school, I made like the Queensland team for school nationals and things like that. Um, but for me, always with racing and competing, it was always a nerves thing. Like my mum used to, it was fight or flight and I would always choose flight. Like I would yeah. want to run away from it yeah. all the time. So, and that started from a young age. It was just, I couldn't tell you why I was overwhelmed. Actually, mum thinks it's because um, I was worried about embarrassing myself. So I used to be petrified of false starting. Mm-hmm. So I would be so laid off the blocks. <laughs> be, <laughs> competitors would be in the water already and I'd yeah. just be moving. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my biggest thing when I was younger was just the nerves and the, the level of people watching. Yeah. Mm. Well, a breakout moment. Was there ever a moment where you can look back on now and think, okay, that was sort of where I started to really believe, you know, I could make, say, an Olympic team, obviously, uh, it doesn't happen when you're younger. Everyone, when they're younger, says, I want to make an Olympic team. But I don't know if you genuinely believe it at that stage. Was there a moment for you where you did something and all of a sudden everything seemed like it was in arm's reach? Um, no, not really. I sort of just gradually just got better. It was like, oh, okay, I'm on a state team. Oh, that's good. Oh, okay, I'm on the national team. But yeah. Like it never was... Um, this massive expectation on myself of getting to those things. Um, I always just took it in my stride when I got there. Um, I do remember when I did transfer from just my local Springwood swim club over to Chandler and I was training under Shannon's brother, Nathan. So Mm -hmm. Nathan ran the intermediate squad and he used to race me against the boys. So you're like, okay, you could see, I could see I was improving and getting good enough where my coach was putting me up against the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those sorts of moments were like, okay, I, yeah, they, they obviously see something in me. Were you competitive like that? So if, if you did get put up against the boys, was that something of, of a challenge to you? Do you think that was sort of your coaches finding the buttons to push there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and when you that age as well, you could do PBs in training. You know, yeah, it was yeah. pretty easy. You had the energy, and you could just yeah. do it. And um, I always liked to chase as well. So they always put me in a position where I'd be chasing someone down. Mm. Um, yeah. So they sort of they really bred that, and um, yeah, really encouraged me in those uh, sprint freestyle events, especially. Yeah. In terms of your career and how it started and obviously then the longevity of it, do you think it has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, you weren't thinking too far ahead? I mentioned there, obviously, when did you start believing? You are kind of like, well, I was just doing one thing at a time. And once I achieved that, I moved on to the next thing. Is that important, yeah. do you think, in terms of advice for kids out there listening? 
Yeah, absolutely. You just have to take every step as it comes and not get too far ahead of yourself because then if something comes up in the way, a roadblock comes up, um, you know, you can sort of get over that a little bit better um, than if you're like, oh my God, you know, I was thinking about four years time at the Olympics and something's happened now and that's going to, you know, you just got to take everything as it comes and um, yeah, enjoy the road, Mm. the road to it. Yeah. 2001 world champs, Fukuoka, you make your first Australian team. What was that like for you? Obviously uh, to that stage too. And I know you're a, you're a star in my eyes, but at that stage you're a young swimmer on the, on the team and there's a lot of big stars around you. So I could imagine would be easy to be starstruck. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was really overwhelmed because I didn't really know anyone on the team besides um, Liesl. I roomed with Liesl um, well, I was rooming with her, but beyond that, I didn't know anyone. And Lisa obviously had a very busy schedule because she was our breaststroker at the time and mm. she won, um, silver at the Olympics the, uh, previous year. Um, yeah, so I was really overwhelmed. I was really intimidated. Um, I, one of the first days, uh, it started raining. They had like a little warm down pool outside the main arena. And that's where all our, um, our bags were and it started raining. And so we were all rushing out to get our bags yeah. and I fell and slipped on my bum in front of Thorpey and Thorpey just stood there laughing. <laughs> <laughs> no, he offered to help. Like he tried yeah. to pick me up, yeah. but he had a good laugh at me. And for and like, for a rookie on the team and Ian Thorpe, you know, mm-hmm. was laughing at you. I was pretty humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was really yeah, I was really out of my depth and really didn't feel like I belonged at all. Um, and then I raced, they weren't going to put me in the four by one that, um, they were going to keep me out. And, um, Alan Thompson actually fought for me to, is it Alan Thompson or maybe Brian Sutton? One of them actually really fought for me to be in the four by one, um, heat. Mm-hmm. And I was actually saying, no, it's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> because I was so petrified. Um, yeah, and I actually almost um, cost them that relay because I started to exit the pool before uh, the other swimmers were done completing mm-hmm. their leg in the other lanes. So mm-hmm. luckily I, did, we, I didn't disqualify the team, but um, yeah, it was really, really overwhelming experience for me. What lessons did you learn from that? So obviously, you know, if we fast forward, say, to 2004 and obviously the, the amazing success that you had there, what lessons did you learn from, say, 2001, 2002 as well, at the Com Games, 2003 Barcelona World Champs? Were you picking up things along the way, learning, you know, how you yourself sort of, you know, get to your best? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Sydney 2000 was when I was really, really nervous um, and had to have a needle to stop me from throwing up um, before, no, it was up, maybe it was before the semi um, of the 100 free. And so because I was so nervous, we sort of had to really address that because you can't keep on, you can't keep on being like that at every meet. So um, every big meet and everything that I attended between Sydney 2000 trials and 2004 was to just get me used to being, to racing Mm. and racing people that scared me, racing in situations that scared me. So every time I was put in an international meet, I was essentially, I was learning. I was learning 
you know, um, how to race. What was your coach like? We'll get to Shannon in a minute in terms of, you know, how he was for your career and, and what he meant to, you know, help shaping what you were able to do in the pool. But you mentioned there with the nerves, what was he like with you before your race? Did he, you know, did he learn over time as well how to, to deal better with you? Was talking less better? Was talking more better? What was it like? Um, no, for me, it was straight to the point. Um, yeah, you just had to give me a couple of things that I had to think of. Um, you couldn't say, okay, and do this many strokes. And then when you do this, breathe here. And then, you know, nothing like that. It's yeah. just short and simple. So my race plan by Athens was um, fast, easy down the first lap. That's what I had to think. Mm -hmm. And then once I turned, I'd pop up from the flags and I'd just say, go. And so just three words were my whole race plan yeah. in Athens. But that's just how I had to be because my body also knew how to do it. Your body should be able to go into autopilot. You train it every single day, mm. especially, you know, um, for the hundred, like I was a specialist in one event, you know, so um, I knew exactly how to do it and my body knew exactly how to do it. It was just making sure my mind didn't get in the way of that. Yeah. Talk to Shannon on a, a New South Wales podcast. I've done a couple with him actually, which has been really enjoyable to go through his career and, and learn from him. Um, and he was mentioning, I think it was 2004. And I may get this wrong, but you can correct me. But he was mentioning um, the speech before, you know, going up for, for the final, it might've been. And, uh, and he thought his job was done and he turned around and he turned back and you were still there. And I think the conversation went along the lines of like, this is it, isn't it? Like, this is what we've been building for. Is that something is it along those lines? Look, to be honest, Shannon actually has such a better memory than me for those things. Like yeah. Athens, um, for me, was like an out-of-body experience. So, like, I was watching myself do it. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of – I have a lot of different memories to what Shannon has, but mm. Shannon is very detailed in his. I was like, oh, did that really happen? Mm. Oh, I can't remember that. The, yeah, but, I mean – he was observing where I, I was doing. So, um, I, and I really do feel for coaches because once you walk away and go into, they have no control. Yeah. They have absolutely no control over the outcome of what's about to happen. So, um, yeah, very different positions to be in. Absolutely. And I don't know if you know, uh, you know what coaches are like, but we like to be in control quite a lot. So yes, that is probably the most difficult part of coaching in general is, uh, you know, once all the work is done and then leaving it in your capable hands. Uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to have a heart rate monitor on, <laughs> yeah. on the on pool deck at the Olympics, wouldn't it? Mate, team, no heart rate monitor, but there needs to be a bar. I've, I've more often, I've kept saying we need to put a bar at Chandler, at SOPAC, just, to, you know, there's a coach's room, just put, obviously cap it at three. Let's not get sloshed, but I, I think coaches definitely uh, enjoy a couple of drinks just to calm the nerves down, that's for sure. Yeah, I think Shannon had a favourite um, restaurant in Barcelona, um, Around 03 World Champs, he'd go there after every finals. So <laughs> Definitely needed. Yeah. Mate, talking about 2004, um, and obviously a massive moment in your career, and we're going to talk more about that in terms of the relay and, and the 100 freestyle, but talk to me about the lead-up to Athens. I'm always interested, and I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it because I am genuinely interested in what goes so right for a breakout meet. Now, don't get me wrong, you had some success 
after that as well, you won the world champs and you went on to, you know, break world records with the girls and do other stuff. So you killed it after it. So don't by any means, let, you know, let make you think that 2004 was it for you. But certainly that was a massive moment. What went so right in the lead up to that? Oh, far out. What went so right? Um, look, I had been training really well. I really had. Um, yeah, I remember doing sessions with um, not with Shannon, with Shannon's assistant coaches. There was even an assistant to his assistant. And because I, um, I wasn't studying or at school or anything, I could train earlier. Yeah. And I really enjoyed training by myself. Um, so, yeah, I remember doing some really good sessions, you know, because I could start at three o'clock in the afternoon and I was finished by five. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I was training well, but really what was the biggest factor to my success in Athens was the four years previous of racing. Yeah. Putting, like I said before, putting myself in the situations that intimidated me um, to the point where then I, you know, I had my routine down pat. I do sort of have a little bit more of a flexible personality in terms of I tend to roll with things a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the Olympics, a lot of stuff goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff goes wrong at the Olympics. It's not like my husband and I have discussed it because my husband played AFL for the Brisbane Lions. So he had a few grand finals that he played in and they had police motorcades taking them to the mcg they were on time they were you know everything was organized for them here have a snack here have this go and talk to that person go and get this everything was organized for them whereas with us if the bus driver didn't want to go he didn't want to go yeah you know i'm gonna go and have a cigarette instead and so (laughs) we were we were late for our semi-final the hundred so um i think a little bit my personality did play a big part in me being able to just roll with things. Um, I was thrown more than just a bus being late as a hurdle. And um, yeah, I just was able to take it on and keep on going. It didn't affect how I swam. It wasn't going to affect how I swam. So um, yeah. In terms of the 100 freestyle, what a moment for you. What are your recollections of it in terms of you know, how do you, you know, look back on that race? What went so right? I was talking to Eamon Sullivan um, the other day about his 100 freestyle from Beijing and when he went 47-0 and what went so right? And he said it was felt so easy. It felt like he, you know, obviously he was trying, but there was, you know, swims that he'd done before that he felt like he went faster and he, he certainly didn't. What went yeah. so right in that? How did it feel? Yeah, so um, I broke the world record in the semi and that is exactly how I felt like how Eamon felt is how I felt. I, it was easy. I like, I was like, am I even puffing? (laughs) Like, did I really just do that? Um, yeah. And it wasn't in my plan at all because I did not want to go into the final of the Olympics in lane four as world (laughs) record holder. I really didn't. So, um, yeah, I felt amazing that night, but then the next night I actually didn't, I had been doing 25, um, at pace and um, from the previous night where I broke the world record the 25 at pace the night of the final was 0.15 of a second slower mm-hmm. and you know when you've broken the world record 
what your splits were from the night before. Yes. So I said, Shannon, oh my God, that's slower. And I don't feel very, I, I honestly, um, when you feel good in the water, you feel like you're flying. Yeah. You feel on top and just, yeah, nothing's um, pushing you down. Whereas um, the night of the final, I felt, I just felt heavy. So for me, it was more, Shannon did then turn around and say, you know what, we're here to win, you know? So he did switch my mindset from being panic to, yeah. oh my God. Okay. All right. I'll just, I'll just race. Yeah. Um, so what I then remember from that night, I remember being in the marshalling area and I had planned on having Libby in the final with me because Libby Lenton back, yeah, Libby Lenton back then, sorry, Libby Trickett mm-hmm. now, yeah. um, was the world record holder going into the Olympics. So I had always thought, oh yeah, us two Aussies, one and two in the world, will be there in the final. Mm-hmm. And she missed the final. So I didn't have anyone to talk to because typically us girls would all sit together and just chat before our races. So I made the American Natalie Coughlin talk to me and she was, she wasn't really up for a chat. (laughs) So I just kept on talking um, because that's how I relaxed myself. Um, So yeah, I remember talking to her. I remember being out behind the blocks and Shannon telling me I had to wave and smile. So I waved to the people I had to wave to, which was my mum and dad were there with my auntie and uncle and my cousin and my oldest sister were there as well. So I had to wave to all of them in the crowd. So I remember doing that. And then I just remember smiling. Just, yeah, because if I was smiling, it wasn't so terrifying, mm-hmm. you know? Like if you can put a smile on your face, you're really not in that bad a position. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just smiling a lot. And I do remember feeling Inga staring at me. I didn't turn to look at her, <laughs> but I, you know, when you just feel someone mm-hmm. <laughs> staring mm-hmm. at you. So, um, yeah, that made Man, me... I don't blame you to not look at her. She cuts a pretty imposing figure. I would have been shitting my pants if I looked over and Inga Tabu was staring at me. <laughs> yeah, I honestly also thought if she's going to try and psych me out and stare mm. me down, I'm not going to give her the satisfaction of yep. acknowledging it. Yep. So I just laughed to myself a little bit because I honestly thought, huh, that's pretty funny because I don't <laughs> think I'm an intimidating person who needs to be psyched out by anyone yep. at yep. all. Um. So, yeah, I just remember that. And then being up on the blocks and shaking, yeah, and you're sort of trying to stay as still as you can because you don't want a false start. But that was a really nerve-wracking time. And then once you dive in, it's almost like the nerves melt away and you just go on to that autopilot, like I was saying. Mm. I'm glad we got to the point in terms of, you know, learning a little bit about your history and then getting to this moment, because if we go back and for the people listening now, they'll remember this, hopefully that you, you were talking about always being the one that wanted to be chasing. You never wanted to be the one out in front and you never wanted to be obviously the, the one that was being chased. And here you are the one being chased. So obviously not only is this moment fantastic, I guess, for you in terms of the four year preparation or the early mornings or the hard work, this is also, you know, you overcoming sort of your own little things uh, in terms of, you know, how you motivate yourself and you're sort of uh, yeah. evolving as well. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is mm. that I overcame all that to be to the point where people then thought I didn't get nervous. Like there was, there was a, um, 
there was an incident in Athens where um, I, oh, it was the first night. It was, it was the first night for the four by one, but it was also the night Thorpey had his 400 free. Mm -hmm. And I was walking past him and you know, you're like, oh yeah, it's Thorpey. Didn't fall over again, did you? No, I didn't fall over again. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you think, oh yeah, Ian Thorpe, he's, he's a legend. Like, He's got it covered. He knows what he's doing. And he said to me, oh, my God, Jody, I'm so nervous. Help. And, like, I just said, uh, because I honestly was shocked, like, no, he's not. I thought he was yeah. joking. Okay, oh, don't worry, Thorpe, it's just eight laps. Because, you know, being the arrogant sprinter who only ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the most amount of two, yeah. you know, he's like, oh, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit bitchy, actually. Yeah. But, um, Your heart yeah, was in the right just, place, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was just that thing of um I honestly didn't think that he would get nervous but I found it really interesting the fact that he thought I didn't mm. you know that he thought I didn't get nervous to ask me oh my god what would you do sort of thing mm. um so yeah it was um yeah a massive four years for me to get to the point where people thought that I had it all under control and I certainly didn't <laughs> Wait, let's talk about the relay success as well, especially in Australia, it's really important. And, and I think, you know, we, we value relays very highly. And I know other countries do, and obviously America do it probably better than, than any other as well. But you guys did something, you girls, sorry, did something there uh, in 2004 that obviously the boys had sort of done four years prior. You sort of broke a, a stranglehold that the USA had on the four by one relay how massive was that moment for you and firstly i'll get your own take on it for like your personal you know um feelings around it but then i'll get into also because i think you guys paved the way for for the sprinters to come like the kate campbell's bronte campbell's because until that point although the sprinters that we had were killing it don't get me wrong i'm not throwing any shade against the sprinters that we had prior to 2004 but yeah. certainly the, the USA team were dominating and you girls went out there and showed, well, hang on a second, we can do this too. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, before our generation, um, the sprinters weren't necessarily trained as sprinters. Um, Shannon had sort of started something, you know, after mm. 2000 where we really did start training as sprinters. Whereas before that, like, yeah, it just like, I remember one of our effort sessions was with 10 100s effort. And you're like, that's not really a spread because you're <laughs> no. really not going to go your max in 10 100s, mm-hmm. are you? No. Um, so, I, and a lot of the time as well, the girls on the four by one back then weren't specialist 100 metre swimmers. They had another event that they were good at and then that sort of fitness transferred over to the hundred. Mm-hmm. So with our generation came a bunch of young girls that were purely sprinters. And um, between myself, Libby and Alice, you know, we were one, two, three in the world that year. We knew we were a really good shot of winning that four by one. Um, so that was the main goal really of the Olympics. The hundred was the dream, but the goal was the four by one. Um, yeah, so um, leading into that, we had been training together um, and we'd sort of, because we'd had a couple years of being able to do the relays together, the core, the, us three as the core, um, yeah, we really knew how each other worked. Um, yeah, and Shannon was very strategic around what places we were put in and things like mm. that. So it was a really big one for us to win that. 
um, yeah, really big. I did find that interesting in our chats with Shannon uh, in terms of around that relay, that it really was a planned, not that anything's not planned, but this was something that was certainly a, a massive goal. And, and he had in his mind, obviously, for you know, yourself and Alice to do well individually and, and leading into things. But obviously that as a team was something that you guys had built over you know, a two-year period at least. So obviously, you know, that would have been a, a massive moment in terms of not just breaking the stranglehold, but that's something that had been at least two years in the planning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we were so fortunate that in Southeast Queensland, we had the coaches that had completely changed their way of thinking around training um, that suited us. Um, and yeah, I think that that generation and that... Um, that ability to um, look at other ways of training has really shaped now the sprinters we do have nowadays. Which... Mm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a question I've got two or three down the track, but I'm going to bring it up now because you've led me straight to it. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you think back in the day, like when you felt probably first started, were trainers, uh, were sprinters, sorry, being overtrained and trained not as sprinters. And then obviously you saw that change through your career and obviously your work with Shannon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> there wasn't really a separate um, program. I mean, the the distance, distance guys did have separate programs to yeah. the rest of the squad, but there honestly wasn't, from what I had seen on camps and everything, there really wasn't, um, oh, righty, okay, you guys are middle distance, you're pure sprinters. There's even, you know, a difference between a 50 simmer and a 100 mm -hmm. simmer, you know? So... Um, it was really, really important that um, the coaches and the and the sports scientists too, Tim Kerrison, who was the head QAS um, sports scientist back then, um, worked really closely with Shannon and um, they developed the program together. And, um, yeah, it was really important that they started to look at other ways and smarter ways because people break down if you, you know, mm -hmm. Sprinters aren't, don't have distance bodies. They're not built for <laughs> the long haul. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you really need to be smarter in the way you train. Hey, talk to me about Shannon. We've, we've mentioned him in a roundabouts way into, you know, sort of uh, stories, but let's get specific about, you know, his role and, and working with you. I think he's a very underrated coach in, in terms of what he's achieved and his brilliant mind. I love listening to him talk. As you said, he's... he's um, memory is second to none and he can remember things that nobody else can so I love hearing his stories and I do genuinely believe he's an underrated coach um, in Australia talk to me about your relationship with him and, and how he sort of helped shape your success yeah so he pretty much was um he wasn't just my coach he was my psych as well um I didn't trust psychs um mainly because the same psych that would work with us in Queensland worked with my main rival mm -hmm. and tended and um, yeah, it was sort of just this thing of, I'm, I'm not going to put a hundred percent trust in you, you know, because um, yeah, I'm just not sure what could be reported elsewhere, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and Shannon was the one who knew me best. I was 14, I think when I went over to him. And so he saw me go from this timid, um, shy which i still am shy <laughs> this timid shy you know young girl to um you know being on 
the Australian senior swim team. So he had been through so many things, even to the point where he probably knew me better than my parents. My parents knew me as their child, but they didn't know how far I could be pushed. You know, they didn't know um, the level of effort I would put into things because they drop you off at training and then go and do their own thing and then pick Mm -hmm. you up, which was the way I loved it. I would have hated my parents to have hung around and watched me training. (laughs) A hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, he was just that, that sounding board. Um, and being a young girl, I had to go like, especially when we'd go away on teams and stuff, um, like age nationals in Hobart and things, I had to go to him about things. I had to go to him about personal things as well. So that, that level of trust was really built from a young age. Mm. Um, What about your training partner, Alice Mills? How important was it? Obviously great friends, but how important was it for you in terms of pushing yourself in training, pushing yourself at say, you know, anytime you guys would go head to head and, and racing a competition in training or maybe at a club night or whatever it might've been, might've been just at Queensland States. But, um, you know, I was talking to Patria Thomas not long ago and, and she, you know, noted that it was great for her to have Susie always there in terms of racing domestically because she just pushed shit, you know, the, the level yeah. was there at an international level, but at home, you had that within training as well. Yeah, I did. But to be honest, Alice and I never really raced in training. <laughs> so, because we actually had a really big squad full of girls who were sprint freestylers, like, yep quite a large squad um considering now how you look at some of the squads the very specialized just couple of them yeah um so yeah i actually never raced alice um alice would always go off on the first wave she always loved to be at the front she was like the swimmer you're talking about earlier um she always crossed her t's dotted her eyes um so she was always off at the front, even from like warm up, everything. Um, and I always went like in the second or third wave. Um, she was really good at the short sprint stuff mm-hmm. and also the distance stuff because she had an IM background. She was very, very good at distance as well. Um, so, but I was better at the 100, 200 type sets. Yep. So um, we never, yeah, we never raced and Shannon never forced it either. Um, and I think that probably saved us from it's, it was pretty competitive anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that probably saved us from getting too narky or too competitive or, um, analyzing each other too much. Mm. Yeah. Well, who did you enjoy racing most in terms of, you know, both internationally and domestically who, who, you know, when you lined up in a final, who were you like, you know, pumped and ready to go for it? When you saw them, you're like, okay. You mentioned Inga de Bruyne. Obviously, Libby was there. Obviously, Alice was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say I actually enjoyed racing one person in particular over another. It's more the meets that you enjoy racing. Mm. Um, I would say uh, the, the meets I enjoyed racing the most were like Mare Nostrum um, mm. because it was... It was casual, but then the, com- the competition was there. Um, and it was a little bit more training-based in terms of um, there was back- it was back-to-back quickly, a lot of races, um, not much warm down. It was sort of a little bit like club night type, you know, like how yeah. quickly the races were. So um, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that, yeah, it- 
yeah, there wasn't someone that I particularly liked to line up next to. I mean, everyone swam their races differently, um, but my my um, race plan never changed. Mm. Anyway, so, um, yeah. But, I mean, to be honest, it was an honour to be in Athens on the dais with Inga de Bruyne and Natalie Coughlin. You look yeah. back and you're like, uh, I was on the <laughs> dais with two legends of our sport. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Hey, outside of Athens, what, what are some of your career highlights when you look back that, that you're extremely proud of? And I mean, I, I could go through them and I mentioned this to you before we started, but I don't think it's my place. I think it's, it's, it, it's important for you to sort of have your say on, you know, the, the, the meets and, you know, the things that you did that you're most proud of. Yeah, um, I would say um, thing I was, oh, okay. So in 2001, we actually had, so we had world champs. But we also had um, a thing called, um, oh, what was it? Goodwill Games. Yep. I think it was the last one ever. It was like a privately done um, sort of mini version of the Olympics. And it was in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, I was really nervous at World Champs to the point where I didn't want to race and I was begging them to sort of not put me in the team. But then by the time, time Goodwill Games came around, um, it was like a point scoring thing. It was US versus us. And they came to me and they said, no, you've got to swim the hundred. We literally have no one else because you're not allowed to, like each individual swimmer wasn't allowed to swim more than however many events. I can't remember how many it was, but so they said, you've got to swim it. And um, yeah, I was yet again, I was begging them not to make me. (laughs) (laughs) But I did. And um, Sarah Ryan and I went one, two and we beat the Americans. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like it was sort of positions like that where I, ah, oh, okay. Because yet again, we beat the Americans. They're mm. typically good sprinters and we both touched them out. So, um, there was sort of little, there's little stories like that through career and little, um, wins for me mentally more so, um, than a physical win. It's always just that hurdle, that mental hurdle mm. for me. Hey, Sarah Ryan, she didn't get you painting your fingernails and getting really long ones, did she? No, that's exclu- that was exclusive to her. I wouldn't want to have taken anything like that away from her. She, uh, she did it so beautifully. <laughs> she did. I remember seeing just on TV thinking, God damn, how long are those things? And she actually came because I trained at um, Campbelltown um, and, and Alan Thompson was my coach at the time. And I think a few times she'd come out, I don't know if she lived close or she just needed to do a training session, but anyway, she, she came and did a session there as well. And yeah, they were, they were so long. They were. And I don't know how she got suits on without putting <laughs> holes in them. Maybe she got help. I don't know, but yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, scratched your head. Um, <laughs> what were some of your favorite sessions of the week? What, what did you look forward to? Um, Oh God, there was one, I actually couldn't, I can't remember the exact, Shannon would be able to say exactly what it was. Maybe it was like a hundred or 200 at pace. No, it was like a 200 at pace and then two ones pretty max, like not max max, but you, you were going, trying to go under 60, Mm -hmm. but they were only on 120. So you weren't getting much rest. Yeah. And then four fifties um yeah max or whatever and i always used to do really well at that mm-hmm. or there was another one that i used to do when it was just by myself um when it was um either 
Shannon's assistant or Shannon's assistant's assistant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was 8.50s on 35, um, holding 30 or under. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to then, and it would be like two or 300 sim down in between each set. And I'd do that set like four times. And um, yeah, I used to do pretty well on that as well. Um, I really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah. I, uh, in, in that chat again, and I'm, I'm sorry, I keep going back to it, but it's always interesting when you start saying things, I think back to our conversation yeah, right. with Shannon. Do you think now if you were swimming now, you, you would be more of a 200 swimmer? Yeah, no, I did. I have heard Shannon say that. And yeah, I, I, I think I would be. Um, I was more suited the 100, 200. I wasn't a very good 50 swimmer. Um, I just didn't have the real fire, the real um, power. Um, yeah, Alice definitely was a, a, yeah, I mean, especially on time, uh, was half a second faster than me over 50. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had more the back end speed, which learnt better towards the 200s, but I just didn't like swimming. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like swimming 200s at all. And I never, um, I didn't swim enough to ever have a proper race plan around them either. Like my, my hundred race plan was very not specific, but I knew exactly how to swim my hundred, you know? Um, and I had those words in my head that reminded me exactly how to swim it. Whereas the 200, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I was just swimming and trying to get to the end. So, yeah. How difficult was retiring given that I think you were injured around the time when you retired. So I, I, I you know, I, this is all based off research. Um, you can correct me and tell me how you were going, but I, you know, in the research, it, you know, sort of said you were leaning towards heading to Beijing, you got injured and, and uh, retirement was not long after that. Yeah. Look, to be honest, retirement for me was a, just a big, um, hot mess of factors. So, um, yes, I was having pain when I was swimming at effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it would last for, you know, half an hour after an effort. Um, so that made training really hard, but, um, after Athens, I really just struggled mentally with motivation. I sort of, I had always been someone, um, I never defined myself as a swimmer. It's what I did. And once I had won in Athens, I was like, okay, I've done it. You know, like, um, yeah, I sort of, my mind switched off after, switched off after that. Um, so I really struggled, especially then, and then moving to Canberra, I really didn't like, I understood why the AIS was there and the environment. It's all about excellence. And that was great for people who, liked that environment but I was not suited to that I liked to be more laid back Mm. and um swimming was something I did it wasn't what defined me so being in an environment that defines you purely as an athlete I just was not happy Mm. um yeah you came back to Brisbane 2007 didn't you I moved back the end of 2007 just before like a few months before Olympic trials. Um, yeah. And I just, I didn't have the heart for it anymore. I honestly didn't. So, um, yeah, while I tried a couple of different squads, I just, yeah, it wasn't in me to go again. I wasn't the sort of person who was driven by the ego of saying I've gone to back to back or, 
um, you know, greatest of all time or anything like that. I've, I've got my Olympic gold medal in the 100 free. That was the dream. I don't, yeah, I don't hmm. need another one to feel good about myself yeah. or anything. Yeah. So, um, and I wouldn't have been in the form that I thought, is what an Olympics is about. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, between the injury and my mental state, I just, yeah, walked away. Um, yeah, I thought I might've gotten back in the pool, but no, I enjoyed, (laughs) I enjoyed not being wet four hours a day too much. So, um, yeah, yeah, I never got back in. No, well, look, I I appreciate the honesty as well. And I think it's great to hear you sort of say those sort of stories because there are so many athletes out there that are very different. They're driven by different things. They're motivated by different things. Not every one athlete, there's not sort of um, one method to, you know, getting to the the top. Everyone's got their own um, different vibes going on. And I think when swimmers Mm -hmm. do hear your story, yes, some it'll resonate with and some will be driven in a different way as well. So yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the honesty there. How did you find retirement? Obviously I'm gleaming from the smile on your face that you really enjoyed it, but I know some people do find it hard to, you know, find their identity after swimming because for most of their life, they're an athlete, then they finish and it's, you know, so what, what am I now? Yeah, that's the thing. Like I said before though, I never defined myself as an yeah. athlete. For me, um, family is the most important thing. So um, I'm my sisters. I've got two sisters. I'm the middle one. Um, I'm my parents' daughter. I'm my grandmother's grand, you know, like yeah. um, family to me is the most important thing. And um, yeah, so once I stopped in 2008, my husband was still playing football. So I sort of supported him um, and enjoyed sort of traveling around and watching him. Um, yeah. But then um, we had Emmy in 2000, got married at the start of 2010 and had Emmy in September 2010. So I sort of became a mum quite quickly, which then gives you that new purpose yeah. as well. So um, yeah, I went into mum mode and, you know, sort of two years later had my second and then two years later had my third. So yeah, it's been crazy, <laughs> crazy life since then. Yeah. Given your experiences in swimming, have you given your husband advice when he was playing? Did you, did you give him any words of wisdom at times or, you know, he was obviously experienced enough to just leave him to his own devices? Yeah, because team sports and one thing I'm learning through a little bit of, I've done a little bit of stuff with AIS and working with team sports, team sports and individual sports are quite different. Team sports, um, it's about managing all members of the team for the one common goal, you know, Um, and because they're all different personalities and things like that. Um, Whereas individual, it's quite selfish. Like, not in a bad way. You have to be selfish to succeed, but, um, yeah, it's, they're just very, it's very different. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't give him any, he sort of sometimes not gave me advice, but I've learned a lot of him, what, um, the lions and, or even just AFL in general, they're so much further ahead in their ways of thinking, even like the sports science back then compared to what we had, um, their nutrition compared to what we were, we had their, um, yeah, their mental stuff. Um, yeah, it was sort of, they were taught things that we had to learn ourselves, but that's also the difference between having a professional sport 
an Olympic sport. Olympic sports um, were a little bit different. It is changing now, though, um, luckily, to the benefit of athletes nowadays. Certainly different with the funding, too. So if you can get in there and start um, getting the cash out for the swimmers, because AFL players, rugby league players, my God, some of the money that gets thrown around to those athletes, don't get me wrong, they're they're star athletes and they're, they're earning their keep, but I certainly know a lot of swimmers out there that are busting their backsides and um, I I think they certainly deserve that sort of um, recognition as well. You've got a young family. Um, You're obviously enjoying motherhood. I can already see just on your face. I just said it and you're you're smiling and you're, you know, how do you find the balance though with, with, you know, with work, with other things outside of it? I find it really difficult myself, which is why anyone that's listening would have already heard this question. I say it again because I'm looking for my own answers as well. (laughs) Yeah, um, look, it's, I haven't had to ever work full time with kids. I've been really fortunate like that. So um, my main job has been mum. So whereas my husband is full time work, um, and I'm more that support. Um, Yeah, but being a mum is so much harder than being an athlete. So much harder. Um, It's all selfless. Mm-hmm. And it's the same arguments every day, the same routine every day. I reckon I could put myself on record one day and just play that recording every morning and it would be relevant. So it's been challenging because you talk to adults and you can reason with adults. You can't reason with nine-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. You just can't. So, um, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's a challenge and I'm really not looking forward to teenage years. um, Yeah, hopefully, I don't know, one of my sisters can have a chat to her or something by the time we get to that. Well, mate, you're not setting my heart at ease. That's because I've got a two-year-old daughter and she's already just screaming in my face, throwing food off if she doesn't want it. It just gets thrown onto the floor and she looks at me like, yeah, we'll fix that and go get me something that I want. So you're not making me feel any better about the future. Look, okay, so there are moments of beauty in parenting, aren't there? Like, you know, when they make you really proud. Like, there are moments where my kids make me really, really proud. And, um, you know, my middle is a lot like me. He's actually really uh, practical in his thinking and Mm -hmm. tries to teach my daughter some, you know, who's two years older than him, some, you know, common sense stuff. Um, My youngest, Fred, is just nuts. Um, (laughs) He's bonkers and will just, you know, um, jump off something from a height with no thought as to what's going to happen when he hits the ground, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, so, look, there are moments of beauty. The struggle just changes, you know. As they get older, the fights become something different and, Mm. yeah. So, but that's okay. Cause once <laughs> they become adults, we're all friends again. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I Grant know. Hackett said the other day, uh, someone had told him, cause obviously he's got uh, twin 10 year olds, but now he's got a new born. And he was saying that, um, small, small children, small problems. So I yeah. sort of took that to heart. So I'm like, okay, well, doesn't make me feel great about what's coming, but I, I can sort of take a breath there and think, okay, well, it's not probably as bad as I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just have to step back and go, once they get older especially, they've got to figure it out for themselves. We had to figure it out for ourselves. It's not my job to fix their social problems at school. 
Absolutely. Now, listen, mate, I know you uh, have somewhere to be very shortly. So I'm going to finish up with this final question. And I think it'll be interesting given, you know, sort of your thought process around being an athlete and not sort of identifying yourself as an athlete. So we'll see how you go. Okay. What do you want your legacy to be like? So if I say to, uh, you know, a junior swimmer or maybe, you know, someone else, uh, another coach, if I say Jody Henry, how do you want them to sort of remember you as an athlete and what you achieved in the pool? Oh, God. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Like, maybe just... I always like to... I would hate for someone to think I was ever a nasty person. Mm-hmm. So, nice. <laughs> nice person who... I don't know, achieved something pretty cool, but... Um, yeah, at the end of the day was down to earth and just Jody. Yeah. Down to earth is a great word for it. I was about to say the words and then you said it. So I was like, all right, she got there. Um, but yeah, just mate, look, gleaming from this uh, interview, that's exactly how I, I you know, um, I'm going to walk away from this. Obviously, I know I, I watched your career from afar in terms of uh, a fan of swimming. So I, I know, you know, what I thought of you in terms of just being a, a superstar of the pool and just a phenomenal athlete. But certainly I'm walking away from this interview thinking very, very down to earth. Um, very, very humble. Um, and, and obviously, I think someone who's got their priorities straight in life, which uh, I think a lot of people can listen to this and, and get some, some, uh, some tips from. Uh, that's, you don't have to say that. I'll say it for you. Um, yeah. hey, thank you very much for coming on for a chat. Um, as I said, I know you're about to head off to have another chat with some more people. So thank you very, very much. It's been a privilege. Um, I think you are most definitely one of the most gifted swimmers that we've ever seen um i certainly don't think at times you get enough credit for what you did achieve and i certainly want to make sure i shine a light on that and anyone listening go back youtube um watch jody's races and uh, just be amazed at what she was able to do in the pool thank you very much mate for coming on off the block swimming podcast thanks for having me robbie today's episode of off the block swimming podcast is proudly brought to you as always by our good friends at pro swim workouts Now, if you loved today's episode and want to hear it again, don't forget we are now also available on YouTube with all the interviews right there in video for you to view. They're about 20 minutes shorter versions, best bits if you will. So make sure you head over there right now, like and subscribe and enjoy all of season three so far. Until then though, guys, hope you have a great day. Keep smiling and it's bye for now. (laughs) 